Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Welcome, everyone, to the 26th episode of the Lovable Podcast. This week, we are going to identify and dissect the one sentence that can radically transform the way you love and the way you live. Here's the sentence. I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore, which means I need you to tell me when I do so I can think about it and decide if I need to apologize. Now, before we get into that, um, I want to give a shout out and a big thank you to the people at Crossroads United Methodist Church in Ashburn, Virginia. My time with you was such a blessing to me. Your grace, uh, your courage just gave me so much hope. Um, So thank you for for welcoming me into your community and for listening in today. You know, one of the great unexpected blessings of my writing career has been my speaking career. Uh, So if you're listening and you're interested in having me speak to your group, church, or organization, um, you can go to drkellyflanagan.com backslash speaking. That's drkellyflanagan.com backslash speaking to contact me. I look forward to hearing from you. And also, before we get started, let's make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It explores how we've turned marriage into a commodity and how we can reclaim it as a radically transformative experience, the sort of experience it was meant to be from the very beginning. To get your free copy, again, go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com, and uh, and sign up in the right sidebar. In your introductory email, you'll get the free ebook and a free sample of Lovable. And then after that, each week, you'll get only one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast. Um, and a link to my every other week blog post. So we'd love to have you join our community. And of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. Uh, Lovable is available in paperback, digital, audio. You can get it wherever books are sold. So pick up a copy at your favorite place to buy books. All right, let's get into this week's episode. The one sentence that can radically simplify the way you love and the way you live. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 25 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled The One Sentence That Can Change Your Love and Life. Last week, we talked about the painful process of letting some people go so we can focus on cultivating belonging with other people. This week, we are going to focus on setting healthy emotional boundaries in a way that may lead to other people letting us go, further clarifying our circles of belonging. Before we talk about this next step in cultivating belonging, though, let's check in with you about your experiences in recent weeks, particularly the challenge from last week to begin identifying people who cannot or will not see your worthiness and to begin letting them go. While you're thinking about uh, which experiences you want to share, I thought I'd share with you one um, way that last week's exercise was really helpful to me. So um, I've mentioned that I was in Virginia speaking this past weekend. Well, so the flight was sort of uh, delayed getting in, um, and 
got into Virginia, ran right over to the church Saturday night. I was supposed to meet with a group of, of uh, married couples who were dropping off kids for a, a marriage night out. Um, I missed most of them, um, but by the way, I got to meet uh, another um, person who was a um, someone I've known through the blog. Um, his name is JC. He came all the way up to Virginia to connect. So that was fantastic. Got to meet him at that little meeting. But in the midst of that meeting, I got asked my opinions about the future of marriage, um, the future of church, and um, and I just started sharing my authentic, genuine thoughts about it. And um, about well, about ninety percent of the way through, I started to have that like you know where you just want to like reel it back in and go, oh my gosh, I'm just totally sharing my honest thoughts about this. I have no idea where these, I didn't met all of these folks just, you know, 20 minutes ago. I don't know where they stand. Um, but I, I then also remembered our exercise from the week, right? That so much of this process of finding belonging is about showing up, uh, making yourself authentically known, being vulnerable enough to, to reveal who you truly are, and then, and then discerning which people are embracing that. Um, you know, which people are um, responding to that um, maybe not always in agreement, but at least with a sense of celebration about who you are. Um, and so that, that sort of steadied me and I thought, okay, I'm practicing what I preach here. It's not always easy. Um, but I'll finish with the remaining 10% of, <laughs> of what I had to say about this topic. So, um, that was a way that this past week's exercise and focus sort of steadied me, but I would love to hear what, what you all have to say. Julie writes, I had a job offer fall through yesterday. Oh, hard. I know, Julie, I'm sorry to hear that. I know how faithful and patient you've been as you go through this process. One principle was upstanding, the other felt the need to weigh in with ego throne and cannons. I deserve a medal for staying calm and honest, but after the fact it was hard not to be blaming myself for so many things that are not my fault. Spent the rest of the day totally crushed. As usual, my head was ready for that and my heart was not at all. This morning is just like, you know, in the movies when the intensity of sound increases to a roar and then suddenly drops off like that trying to not jump to looking for the right words. It's not a words thing. Oh gosh, Julie, thank you for that vulnerability. Um, I don't think you're asking us to fix that, um, to, to, to cure it. Um, but I will come alongside you and caring for that by saying that uh, I know the feeling um, and the only thing, the only thing I know <laughs> to do in these moments is to as that as that shame voice stirs up wanting to convince you that it was all, you know all your fault all the things you could have done differently that you be faithful in that space listening for for the voice of grace um, that has something important to tell you about who you are and um, how you can move forward so um, I just uh, I pray that you'll be, be faithful in that listening during this time it's so important Heather writes, oh, sorry, Julie, been there so many times, but you will find the unicorn that is the perfect job for you. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to come, right? And it's the hard part is that it's only, it's only in hindsight <laughs> that you, you realize that's what was happening all along. Um, that, and, and there's a parallel here, Julie and Heather, for relationships, right? That um, during those barren times of belonging, where it feels like we're just not connecting with people who really get us, who value our what we bring to the relationship, that it just feels like such a barren and a desolate time. But if we can be faithful to continue to show up, to continue to present our true self to the world, 
um, that unicorn, I appreciate that, Heather, that unicorn does eventually show up. That place of belonging shows up, that workplace shows up, and, uh, and then we get, to, uh, we get to look back and go, okay, I get it. That, that dark night of the soul, that valley, um, it, was, it was leading somewhere, but it, it, didn't feel, it didn't feel good and it didn't feel hopeful while I was in it. Uh, so Julie, we, we trust faithfully that we are going to be on here. <laughs> We're going to be here someday, you know, talking about and looking back and understanding, but it is hard to, to trust that right now. Heather writes, that's the ticket. Just trusting, having faith, getting to the other side. It's hard, but it eventually happens. Yeah. The, 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 the one thing you want to do in that valley, in that dark night is to not start shutting down, hiding, um, not showing up anymore because if there's something that's going to keep you sort of lost in that dark night or that valley it's it's hiding again um and so that trusting that having faith that um that courage to keep showing up is so important um and julie we've seen you doing that so we know that courage is there and uh, we know that you can continue to act from that courage <laughs> unicorn seeking unicorn julie writes so weary you know what's you know what's interesting, Julie. Uh, I was reading recently a book uh, by Madeline Lee Ingle where she was detailing. She's the author of A Wrinkle in Time, and she was detailing the struggle she had to get that book published. I mean, she had been writing for years, decades at that point, um, with a little success, but not much. Um, feeling an awful lot of guilt about not providing for her family and spending so much time on this writing passion of hers, and it's not providing anything. Um, and Wrinkle in Time is getting rejected by publisher after publisher, and she described one particular rejection, and she said that the emotion that most consistently happened during those rejections was not anger, fear, sadness, it was weariness, like weariness like an emotion, like I just don't know if I have it in me to keep going. And then of course eventually um, A Wrinkle in Time was, was published, that was her unicorn I guess, but um, so your weariness is a normal reaction to frustration and rejection. And again, the, so important to, to not stop walking, um, to not give in to that weariness, to take care of yourself in the midst of it, do what you need to do to, to restore yourself as much as possible, but to not stop taking those courageous steps. Brenda writes, I'm stuck on this practice. I realized I was subconsciously distancing uh, from people that I can't, shouldn't distance from. It would have been okay to take a breather if I had chosen it. Instead, I knee-jerked. So now, what to do? Wow, Brenda, you point out the complexity of discernment that goes on here. And we, we talked about that last week, just the, the need to sort of almost bring in wise counsel, someone that you trust, you know, to, to help you discern. Because, yeah, when is, when is it a knee-jerk reaction to protect? And when is it a, uh, a wise discernment that this is no longer the place where I need to keep showing up? Um, and it sounds like you've discerned that uh, there's some places where there was just sort of a reactive protection happening. Um, and this is, my, this is my reaction to that. What do you do with that, right? What, do you, what you do, what you aspire to do, it's not so easy, but as you come back to those places and you say, hey, this is what was happening. Uh, I, I was reactive. I was protective. I didn't feel safe. Maybe some of that had to do with you. A lot of it had to do with me. Can you forgive me? 
and can uh, can we go forward? I value your relationship enough to to sort of um, to sort of risk saying that to you. And then you get further clarity about your places of belonging, right? Um, when someone can respond to that confession uh, with open arms, with an embrace, uh, with the willingness to work through the messiness with you, there, the, the question about whether or not you belong to them begins to get eliminated. Um, so it too can be redeemed through a growing confidence um, that this is a place you belong. Carrie Lynn writes, my fellow unicorns, I come here to experience, hear the voices, know the stories of those of us who long for truth and grace in our everyday interactions. Thank you for working hard to be so loving to yourself and others. I am a warrior at heart and advocate as a CNA for my hospice patients and families who are so vulnerable. What is missing in my life is the tenderness and careful love outside of the hospice setting. I harden and soften when I go between these two worlds. It is so difficult to go so deep and not just be able to stay there when I move through the workplace doors and into a world that isn't really ready to relate at that level. I desperately desire to connect at the deeper levels consistency, consistently. The longing is overwhelming at times. Carolyn, that is, that is absolutely beautiful. And I think you have articulated um, what it feels like to have a longing for belonging. You know, what you're saying is I'm in this space where I get to talk about what is real and authentic and what I care about, what I'm passionate about and my compassion for people. And then I walk out of those doors and I'm hungry for people with whom I can continue to relate in that way. And, uh, and what you're describing is I'm, I'm hungry for belonging. Now that those people might not be the people that everyone belongs to, the people who can continue to engage with you at that level but they're the people that would belong to you and they're the people you're seeking. So uh, the one of the challenges, of course, <laughs> is to walk out those doors and continue to relate to everyone as if you're still in those doors. Because until you, until you do that, no one will know what you're longing for. No one will be able to respond to you in the way that you're queuing them up to respond. So what my, one of my hopes in this, in these, in these months is that we, we, we act authentically in a way that would invite the very belonging that we are longing for and that we are seeking. And in this case, it's, it's probably translating your behaviors from inside those doors to your, your behavior outside those doors. And it's the challenge that we're all facing, really, is to, to really reveal that true self to everyone and see who responds. Thanks again for this discussion, everybody. Uh, let's continue now by transitioning into this week's reading. You know, sometimes at this point in the podcast, I'll, I'll read an excerpt from Lovable. I could do that this week, but I think there's a lot to dig into in this week's reading from the companion book alone. So um, we're going to get right into that. Here it is. Week 25, one sentence that can change your love and life. The people who sit on a therapist's couch are abnormal, right? They've made bad choices and lived incorrectly and are broken in some strange way, right? Wrong. In my clinical practice, I have discovered two things. First, my therapy clients are ordinary people who have the extraordinary courage to admit life is messy and the determination to redeem it. And second, the majority were not the bad kids on the playground. They were honor roll students and the quiet kids who got things done and the glue in their splintered families and the caretakers and the sacrificers and the forgivers and the obedient ones. And they are simply confused about how doing all the right things can land them in the middle of so much suffering and confusion. I've done a lot of work with these folks. The work can be complicated and hard and painful. 
but over the years I've made it simpler by distilling the purpose of the work into a single sentence. If we can tenderly, not aggressively, and authentically, not defensively, with bluster and bravado, utter this sentence, it can change the way we love and live. This is the sentence. I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore, which means I need you to tell me when I do so I can think about it and decide if I need to apologize. It's a key to loving well and living freely, but we can only embrace it if we understand the radical, transformational love at its core. So let's take it apart, piece by piece. First, I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore. In other words, I'm sick of living in fear of what others will think of me. If I make a mistake or say a wrong word or accidentally make them feel uncomfortable or don't respond to them in the way they wish, it has drained me and I can't recall who I truly am, let alone reveal who I truly am. So I'm done with feeling responsible for everyone else's feelings. Except I'm not, not completely, because I'm human and all healing takes time, and there will be moments when I'm ambushed by my old shameful worry, and I'll wonder if what I did and said is good enough for anyone. And I do love people and care about them. There will be many moments when it's perfectly appropriate for me to be concerned about their feelings, and I don't want to lose that part of me. So I probably will continue to worry, but just a little. Part two, so I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore. Part two, which means I need you to tell me when I do. Because as my terror of error is diminished, I will ironically make even more mistakes than before. I'm not perfect and I will mess up. I don't want to hurt you, but realistically, it is probably going to happen. So when I have hurt you, I will need your authentic, vulnerable, and kind feedback. And because I'm not confusing my mistakes and indiscretions for who I am, my identity will not be at stake, and I will be able to receive that feedback without defensiveness. And because I know my value and worth, even in my fallibility, I will not do violence to myself with your feedback either. Part 3. So I can think about it. I will no longer respond compulsively. I will no longer feel responsible for taking away all of your hurt and discomfort. So I may take my time to respond to you. I promise you I'm not brushing it under the rug. I simply want my response to be guided by wisdom rather than fear of rejection or abandonment or condemnation. And I know wisdom takes time and discernment, maybe even space for mindfulness and prayer and meditation and consultation with a trusted confidant. And finally, and decide if I need to apologize. I know I'm broken and make mistakes, but I also know we're all broken, which means your hurt may not be my fault, and you may need to face it rather than being rescued from it by my apology. And I'm beginning to believe that I get to decide when I need to apologize. My fears and your demands will no longer dictate apologies and compensation. At the same time, please know that I value you. Whether you are a friend or family member or a pedestrian on the street or a customer service representative, you matter to me, and I will take you and your hurt seriously. Even when I don't bear the burden of responsibility, I will feel the weight of compassion. And because all of this is true, when I do apologize, you will be able to trust the depth and sincerity of my remorse. That's it. One sentence to freedom, one sentence to radical self-acceptance, one sentence to healthy self-revelation, one sentence to authentic vulnerability, connection, and belonging. One sentence to a very messy, but very real love. So I have said this a number of times in this podcast. I've said, boy, there's a lot in there to unpack. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but there is a lot in there to unpack. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read the sentence to you one more time, and then um, we can, can discuss it some more. Actually, first, I think what I'll do is I'll just tell you a little bit about my experience that gave rise to this, this, this writing. I was in my own therapy. Uh, I was needing, very much needing to express something very important to somebody in my life. And I had spent most of the hour uh, sort of parsing my words, trying to figure out just the way I wanted to say it. And my therapist stopped me and he said, Kelly, why, why are you so worried about getting this perfect? And um, I listed about 10 reasons, most of them having to do with not wanting to be um, in error in any way, right? Not wanting to be blamable for hurting anyone's feelings or saying the wrong thing or whatever. And he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, Kelly, I think that's why God created the words, I'm sorry. <laughs> and the way he said it, and probably I was ready to receive it in that moment, was like, oh yeah, like why do I think that I get to be the one who doesn't make mistakes in relationships? Um, I have good intentions, my heart is in the right place. Um, I need to start saying the important things I have to say and trusting that if I hurt other people with it, those people will come to me and they'll say, Kelly, that hurt and this is why. And then I have to sit with that. I have to sit with that and go, huh, I gotta take that in. There's some things I do to hurt people, but, but this part, I don't think so. I think that's coming from their history and their story and their hurt. And the people I belong to will be the people that can sit down and have that dialogue with me. Where I can sit down and say, thank you. Thank you for coming to me and letting me know I hurt you with that. Um, number two, I want to apologize for this part of it, what I did. And number three, but I don't, I don't see myself as totally responsible here. Can you tell me more about that history of that hurt for you? Now you have, you have somebody you can sit down and do that with, um, and you have a place of ultimate belonging. Um, and so I will read that sentence again, and then I'd love to, to hear more of your thoughts about it. And frustrations with it, and you know, the complications of actually living it out and all, all of your reactions about the idea. Here's the sentence. I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore, which means I need you to tell me when I do so I can think about it and decide if I need to apologize. Your thoughts? <laughs> Heather writes, that's not a simple sentence at all. No, it's not. <laughs> that's why I spent the whole post unpacking <laughs> the one sentence. Deb F. writes, Terror of error. Great statement. I suffered my whole life from that one. Not anymore. I choose to be authentic and pray people will let me know if I do offend. That also puts a certain responsibility on them for keeping it real as well, no? It has weeded out a few false friends, but brought in a few true ones. Um, yeah, I think that there's so, so much of this sentence is about shifting out of codependence, right? Codependence is... The responsibility for retaining this uh, for for this relationship um, it, it's all on me I have to think about how you think and how you feel and say all the right things to make sure that your feelings and, and thoughts uh, stay in a, in a zip code where you want to be with me and it's shifting out of that and putting some responsibility back on the other right saying, I'm not going to, to feel like the pressure to do all of the work in this relationship. That's not belonging. What belonging is, is I show up 
and you tell me when ways that I showed up um, were hurtful or were problematic for you, and then we work through that together. And now the, 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 the responsibility for belonging is shared. And when we've encountered people who want to share that responsibility with us, we're, we're with the people that we belong to. Um, so, Deb F., thank you for saying it that way, and, um, and I celebrate with you that you've been able to shift that responsibility, some of that, onto the people around you. Brenda writes, this sentence freaked me out, <laughs> then I teared up, because I've been trying to express this part of me for 40 years. Brenda, my guess is that it, that some of those the tears that you feel in response to this, and we were talking about it earlier with Julie, um, is weariness. The, the the you know the the tears of weariness that say this this has been a burden, and then also tears of hope, like I might actually get to put some of that burden down. I don't have to carry all of it anymore. Um, because it is so exhausting to have to carry all of the responsibility for maintaining a relationship. And this, this sentence is a way of, in one sentence, sort of symbolizing what we want to embody as we, we trust that we are worthy of being with people who want to share the responsibility uh, for vulnerability, for tenderness, for wading through the messiness. We're worthy of being with people who will share that responsibility with us and that they're out there, that we act and trust that they're out there. And that this sentence, living out this sentence, embodying it, is actually a way to discover those people. Heather writes, I'll admit to being, I guess, selfish. The first part of this sentence I've been doing for a while, the second, not so much. Um, <laughs> I think, Heather, what you're admitting to being is human <laughs> and ordinary, <laughs> like the rest of us. So the first part of the sentence, I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore. Um, and the rest of it is, which it means I need you to tell me when I do so I can think about it and decide if I need to apologize. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, as we grow into a sense of worthiness, the first, the leading edge on a sense of worthiness is, oh wait, I don't need to be afraid of everybody anymore. I'm okay. Um, then as we continue to grow into that sense of worthiness, we continue, it, it can form a foundation for us to be able to truly hear the feedback of other people. Now that is, that's a level of maturity I don't pretend to have attained. Um, it's, I mean, still with my wife of, you know, 17 years, she comes to me and said, I did something that hurt her. I, my first reaction is, oh, thank you for coming and telling me that, <laughs> right? My first reaction is defensiveness. My first reaction is to think about ways she hurt me too. You know, all of the ego wants to step in and protect. Um, but again, this is an aspirational sentence that we would increasingly, um, from a place of worthiness, from our true self, know that we can hear the feedback of others and wisely discern our role in it and apologize if necessary. It's hard stuff. It's ordinary not to, to embody that last part of the sentence. That's what we sort of spend the rest of our lives doing on this journey. Mary writes, I am not going to worry about offending other people. Uh, she's quoting, and then she writes, we can't be like an elephant in a china shop. We, of course, need to be aware and hopefully sensitive. However, we cannot let fear paralyze us from moving forward. You know, I think you perfectly summarized it, Mary that the, the first part of the sentence and the last part exist in tension with each other um, so that our, our sense of worthiness um, does not get used as a license um, to be a bull in a china shop, in your words, an emotional bull in, in, in the china shop of other people's hearts, <laughs> right? Um, that we, 
we do have a freedom in our worthiness to, to be authentic, to show up and to, to have a voice. Um, but we also then from that foundation of worthiness, balance that with an awareness that we do affect other people, um, that we have an influence on other people and, uh, and that we want to be in dialogue about what that influence is. Mary goes on, when we are sincere, even if we speak out hard to hear truths, the recipient will also hear the love and sincerity. Um, yeah, and that's the hope, right? The hope is that we, you know, that the people we belong to, and this goes back to last week, will be able to see that even in speaking hard to hear truths, our heart's in the right place, that we're saying it out of love, it's not a condemnation, it's, a, it's an observation, and, uh, and so, yes, so that this, and that, that if we got it wrong in any way, right? I often start out, I mean, my job is to communicate hard to hear truths to people as a therapist. And, but I often start that off with, I could be totally off here. I have, I have an instinct here and I want to share it with you, but you tell me, you tell me if I'm off and you tell me if it hurts you. Um, and so we want to be able to cultivate that, that capacity for conversation in our relationships. Julie H. writes, why so scary? Because sometimes the person you want to have this response to are the people that truly don't care what others think. It's okay for them, but not okay for others to not care. Does that even make sense? Yeah, Julie, I think I understand what you're saying. I think what you're saying is people have naturally different levels of um, comfort, sort of, you know, different levels of um, attentiveness, sort of, introspectiveness, um, relational sensitivity. Um, and so you, you do have some people who do genuinely when they're living out their authentic true self, they're just not tuned into that level of the relationship. Right. And, uh, and so, I, and I think that that's what we're saying here is that if you are someone who is tuned into that level of the relationship, if that level matters to you, you don't want to unintentionally hurt people's feelings. You want them to let you know, um, when their feelings are hurt. Um, then, then you're probably someone who wants to, will find places of belonging with people who are more attuned to that level of the relationship than others. Julie writes, I wonder if the emotional intelligence stuff sometimes shifts too much responsibility onto the sender. That's the tip of an iceberg, Kelly. I would love your perspective. It's a, it's an interesting thought, Julie. Um, and my, um, my friend and my business partner and fellow therapist, um, he said something once that stuck with me in his been really helpful, which is um, that the person in a relationship who has the highest capacity for empathy is always the person who ends up working hardest at the relationship, <laughs> um, which I, I think is sort of what you're getting at. Um, and uh, it's okay to recognize that there's a reality to that, but I think empathy can become unhealthy when it it, it, it crosses the line into this codependence where because of my emotional intelligence, because of my level of empathy, I am now doing almost all of the work of the relationship and maintaining it and so on and so forth. And I need to begin shifting some of that back to you. I need to be challenging you to be working on your emotional intelligence, um, for, for instance. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a reality to that and yet it can, can slowly cross the line into something sort of unhealthy and a huge burden for people with high emotional intelligence. Julie writes, heart, 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 if I could just apply it. <laughs> uh, Julie, we're going to have a practice this week um, that we'll, we'll focus on not, not really necessarily applying it, um, but integrating it into ourselves in a way 
um, that will make it more likely that we can apply it, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, this that's the challenge. That's a lifelong challenge, Julie, is how do I consistently apply this across relationships and in my life? Um, but, but part of, you know, Part of, part of applying is just knowing the direction you want to move. So this sentence provides sort of a, uh, a destination to arrive at. And if we can be sort of uh, referencing it as we move, it can help to course correct us sometimes. So, and that's, I think that's a lifetime journey. Julia writes, Julie H. We, we have two Julies now, don't we? Julie H., don't despair. It's all baby steps. We are all just trying to fall better next time. Kelly will have much more to add. Yeah, maybe I already did that, Julie. I sort of got ahead of you on that one, but I appreciate that addition. Yep. We're just trying to fall better next time. Okay, so let's now continue this discussion by uh, talking about the the practice for the week, and uh, and then we'll sort of continue from there. So here it is, the week 25 practice. Last week, we considered the possibility of releasing particular people from our life. This week, we are going to explore the other side of that coin. Instead of going out of our way to keep everyone happy with us, we are going to get bolder about revealing who we are and letting other people decide if they want us in their life. This is how we will practice. In the contemplative tradition, there is a belief born out of centuries of practice and experience that if we can mindfully hold something in our minds long enough and consistently enough, that idea will descend from our minds into our hearts. In other words, it will go from being an abstract idea to a tangible experience inside of us. This, le- this week, let's make this sentence, I'm not going to worry very much about offending people anymore, which means I need you to tell me when I do so I can think about it and decide if I need to apologize. Let's make this sentence the meditation of our days. If you have not continued with your morning breathing meditation, this is the week to resume it. Remember, begin your meditation by focusing on your breath and returning your attention to it whenever it wanders. Then, slowly shift your focus from your breath to this sentence. Hold it at the center of your attention, repeating it out loud if necessary. When your thoughts stray from it, return to it. Wait upon awareness of the ways you find this idea difficult or scary. Note them and let them go as well. Then, as you go through your day, pause briefly after your interactions with people. Return to this sentence. Become aware of the ways you lived it and the ways you hesitated to do so. Conclude the brief reflection by repeating the sentence again. It's a sentence to hold gently at the front of our minds until it sinks into the depths of our hearts. It's a sentence that will redefine how we experience life, what we choose to do with our time, who we choose to spend that time with, and who chooses to spend their time with us. Let's surround ourselves with people whose hearts are also beating to the rhythm of that sentence, people who can give us grace in our errors and compassion in our brokenness, and people who are vulnerable enough to sincerely confess their own mistakes and receive the grace we offer. Find the people you belong to by attracting the people who can handle the revelation of who you are. Meditate upon this sentence this week. Act on it. Become it. Now, once again, I would add, (laughs) this week, meditate upon this sentence. You don't necessarily need to act on it, and you certainly aren't expected to become it over the course of a week. That's a lifetime sort of thing. But over the course of this week, use your breathing time, use your breathing meditation, use your relational moments to begin to integrate this sentence into your heart, into into who you are, into how you see relationship. Deb W. writes, lifelong challenge for sure. My experience, especially within this past year, is that the more I show up, the more I don't worry about offending, not carelessly, but with compassion the more I'm met with genuine belonging, and that reward makes not showing up not an option anymore. 
quite the run on sentence. Sorry, folks. No, Deb, I think it's a good reminder that we all need um, that when we talk about getting connected with our true self, um, that that true self is inherently, always inherently, um, more, more tender, more compassionate, more caring, uh, a greater sense of connection and unity to all people. So a sense that when I hurt you, I hurt me. Um, and so I think it makes sense and we need to be reminded that when we are truly speaking from our true self, um, we will, things, things will get mistaken in translation. We will make mistakes. We will make a mess of things. Um, we will not always be faithful to speaking from our true self, but for the most part, what, what comes out of us in those moments will be more tender, more caring, um, less defensive, less aggressive. And so suddenly, because we're speaking authentically, um, we are making, uh, we're, we're doing less to hurt the people around us. And I think that that's a popular misconception in the culture because there's a lot of focus on speaking up right now, and there should be, about having a voice, and there should be. But if we haven't first clarified the difference between our true self and our false self, and we just say, I need to have a voice, well, it's quite possible that the voice that speaks out is the voice of our false self or our ego, and we could do an awful lot of damage with that. We first have to do that, go through this process we've been going through in this year of living, loving, listening, <laughs> loving and living. We have to go through this process of discerning our true self from our false self. And when we do speak up, when we do have a voice as much as possible, we want that to be arising from our true self. And then a lot of our concerns about hurting people begin to diminish. Um, so Deb, thank you for that reminder and that prompting to, to see it that way. Brenda writes, so many people scream that they don't care when they're hurting the most from the fact that they do still care. Um, Brenda, I get, oh my gosh. Um, I think of the times, particularly where my adolescent, my teenager says, you know, I don't care. And there's like, you know, like tears in his eyes. You can hear the hurt there, right? And it's such an important observation that I don't care often arises from a protective ego that just says, I need to put up a wall between us because I'm, I'm feeling too much here and I don't feel safe. Um, whereas this sentence is not about, I don't care. The sentence is about, I care deeply. Um, I just need you to participate with me in the caring <laughs> um, because I'm caring too much of it and I need to worry about that less. Deb W. writes, absolutely, Brenda, and sometimes just being aware that there is so much hurt underneath that don't cares helps us to have compassion and empathy for them. That's right. It's seeing the, you know, we go back to last week, right? It's seeing the incubator through the escalator, right? The stated comment is, I don't care. Underneath that is the reality of the heart that cares so much, it, it's, it, it needs, needs to retreat for a little while. By the way, everybody, <laughs> my daughter went to a field trip and she told me, uh, this was on Monday, she told me that she got to, um, she got to see a cow and she got to pull on the gutter. <laughs> and uh, once again, I knew she meant utter. Um, and, and yet it didn't come out that way. And uh, so sometimes our people say, hey, I care so much. I just can't, I can't, I can't be vulnerable right now. And it comes out, I don't care. Right. So thanks again for that reminder. Deb W writes, so good today. Thank you all for your honest comments and insights. May we always see the udders. <laughs> May we always see the udders through the gutters. Yes, Deb, thanks for, thanks for adapting that. Um, the udders through the gutters. 
Trista writes, thank you. Thank you for the courage you showed in sharing your authentic self on such a large scale as to help prevent so many from feelings of isolation and loneliness. It is truly nice to find we do actually have a tribe. Yeah, you know, and um, I, that's a great thing. That's a great point, Trista, that, you know, what this space here reveals is that you do have a tribe. Um, and this particular tribe happens to be spread far and wide. Um, but there are, there are people waiting to join a tribe like this near you somewhere. And, and our job is to get out there and show people who we are uh, and see if they're, they're willing to, to join up, you know. Okay, let's, uh, let's wrap up the discussion here for this week. And uh, thanks again for uh, your vulnerability, your willingness to share the, you know, the victories and the struggles. Um, it's a helpful to me and it's helpful to everybody listening. So thanks again. I'm looking forward to our, our next discussion. It's going to be week 20. It's going to be the halfway point of the year of listening, loving, and living, believe it or not. Week 26 of the year of listening, loving, and living. It's entitled The Opposite of Loneliness. Um, in a way, it's a, an, an episode that sort of starts to name what all of this has been building up to. So The Opposite of Loneliness, week 26. Until then, remember, you are lovable even when you need to apologize. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Cause you-